Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. One of our family rhythms is that we take, in the summer, we take a family vacation that is, the purpose of it is restoration. Um, Before we jump full bore back into a busy schedule with school, right before we jump back into that schedule, we, we get away somewhere. We used to go to northern Michigan. Loved that. We stayed on the Lake Superior, Lake Superior shoreline. Uh, and, then, and then we started going to the Smoky Mountains. We've been there the last couple summers. We're looking at some other possible places for this summer. But the, the whole purpose of that is to just get away and be restored, get away and be refreshed, not plan a super busy schedule, but just to get used to sitting in a cabin somewhere with books, waking up when you want to. We fix a southern breakfast, have a big breakfast, and we kind of lounge around and read and talk about what we're reading, and then we go on a hike somewhere, and then we have a movie night in the evenings. It's just, it's amazing. On this trip, we usually have a playlist, and Dad puts together the playlist, so we go to the old Spotify, there's usually some Cat Stevens, there's usually some Willie Nelson, there's just all sorts of um, maybe some Creedence Clearwater Revival, but it gets us in this mood of we are going somewhere fun, and we're going to have a good time together, and it's an important part of our drive, Uh, and we listen to that playlist over and over leading up to the trip so we can get excited about the trip, and then when we're driving, we also do this thing where we each get to play our favorite song, So I'll pick a song, and nobody can complain about it. That's actually a rule. You cannot complain about it. We didn't have to have that rule until they became teenagers. But then Kara picks a song. Nobody can complain about it. Abby and Mackenzie pick songs, and the parents can complain about the songs, but nobody else can complain about them. And we just, we do this because music is an important thing that kind of prepares us for this vacation. We're looking at Psalm 126 today, and the people, the Israelites, would have these playlists too. They would have these lists of songs and things that they would pray and hymns that they would sing together too. They would use this when they all traveled to Jerusalem because not all the Israelites, not all the Jewish people lived in Jerusalem. They lived in surrounding lands, and three times a year, they would travel to Jerusalem for these big big festivals, these feasts, three different feasts. And when they were traveling to Jerusalem together, they'd be in these big convoys with families. They'd be looking out for each other's kids. They would be with aunts and uncles and neighbors and friends. They would all travel together in these convoys, and they would sing these songs So Psalm 120 through 134 is called the Songs of Ascent. This was their playlist when everyone would travel to Jerusalem together. We're going to look at one of those in their playlist called Psalm 126. And Psalm 126 is what they would sing to remember when they were released from Babylonian captivity 
and allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And it was a very joyful time. It was recent history for them. So as they're traveling in convoys to Jerusalem, they're remembering when they were in captivity and they were freed from that captivity to go back to Jerusalem. It's a happy, it's a happy time. They're thinking back to it. But as they're singing in it, as they're singing, it's not such a happy time. They're in a little bit of a valley. We'll talk about that. So I suggest if you're listening to this on our podcast, you go to our website at southsideworcester.com and grab our sermon notes. You can go to the resources page and click on Advent 2023, the sermon notes, and you will find them there. And if you were in any doubt that I was an art major in college, today's sermon notes will speak for themselves. Let's read Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Like streams in the Negev, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let me pray. Father, not every time we open Scripture together is going to radically transform us. But every time we open the Scripture together, there's the potential that it will radically transform us. And so I pray this morning that you would help us to sit on the edges of our seats with anticipation of what your Spirit wants to teach us. For those of us who are kind of in the doldrums of life, who are just into the gray of December, bring light and clarity and something new. For those of us who have a hard time with Scripture, it typically doesn't feel very lively. Make it come alive to us. For those of us who have a difficult time making the leap, sometimes difficult leap from understanding something new about Scripture to applying it directly to our lives, guide us to that application. Bring things to mind that we can apply. You are speaking to us through your word. Revive us. Resurrect us. Teach us. Transform us. Help us not to be satisfied with spiritual mech. Spiritual mediocrity. Spiritual sluggishness. Spiritual boredom. Wake us up with your word. In Jesus' strong name, amen. 
one of the things the Bible challenges us to do is have a realistic view of life. We find that particularly in the wisdom books and particularly in Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Job. The Bible challenges you to look at life realistically. Wisdom, biblical wisdom, consists of two things. One, a sober understanding that God is the loving and empowering center of everything. That's the first thing that anchors us in biblical wisdom. We see that in him we live and move and have our being. We have a sober, almost kind of like fatherly apprehension about God's power, and yet it's softened by his grace and his compassion, but he is at the center of everything. He empowers everything. If we need help in life, we turn to the Father. That is the first aspect of biblical wisdom. The second aspect of biblical wisdom is a dogged commitment to perceiving reality as it actually is. And we are reality-avoidant creatures. It is much more comfortable with our head in the sand. It just feels better. We don't have to deal with stuff around us. That is the form of, that is the way to all of our versions of psychosis. M. Scott Peck says, all emotional sickness stems from attempting to avoid reality. And you cannot read the book of Proverbs and think that we can get away with avoiding reality because Proverbs makes you equipped for life as it actually is. I drew a little line in your notes that's supposed, supposed to represent part of that reality that we're going to address in Psalm 126. And it represents the peaks and the valleys of life. Because all of life is peaks and valleys, and it always will, will be. People who are always high, always think life is fantastic, have some type of self-created block where they're not seeing reality as it actually is. Or they're incredibly just self-focused and not seeing hurt around them. People who are always in the valley and living there and are down aren't seeing the incredible things that God has given us in Christ. Life is ups and downs and an even more accurate representation of life would be if I could have figured out how to have the peaks and the valleys simultaneously because that's actually how it always is there's always some things that are going really well and there's always things that some things that are going really poorly that's life we live in a mixed bag of good and bad and psalm 126 teaches us how to negotiate that reality They're currently living in a valley, which is why I have those stick figures at the bottom of the valley. And they're kind, of, they're kind of looking up on the one side of the valley. And the first thing that we learn in this psalm is when we're in the valley to look to the past and remember the goodness of God in your life. Now, if you are paying attention, and if you were here last week... You know, you remember that I said nostalgia is not a good thing, right? 
Nostalgia is a really, really bad thing because nostalgia will get you stuck in some type of past. And so you're hearing me now say, remember the good of, goodness of God in your life. And you're probably thinking, how does that, how does that exist with the, the, what you said last week about nostalgia? That doesn't, that doesn't add up. Those seem like the same thing. Well, here's nostalgia. I had to look it up exactly to make sure because even I was thinking, ooh, did I give him bad advice there? I was pretty sure that I didn't, but... This affirms that I didn't. Nostalgia is a wistful or excessively sentimental yearning for return to some past period or irrevocable, irrecoverable condition. Excuse me. In other words, you're looking back to something and you want to go back there. Or you want that to come to this time. Like, you either want the past to be today or you want today to be back in the past. That's nostalgia. It's not just remembering it fondly. It's wanting that again. Like this is, like I have these dreams still where I am going to the gym on a Friday night and Coach Alberts is there like, Grimmy, why are you wearing a suit? And I'm like, I don't know. I never wear suits. And he's like, go get dressed. We have a game. And I'm hyped. I'm excited. I am so pumped up. One of my mom and I's projects this year is we're going through all of these old VCR tapes of my games, our family you know, trips and stuff together, and it's bringing up all these wonderful memories, but it's also like getting me, like I'm having these dreams, mom, so I got to be careful. I'm having these dreams. I want to play high school basketball again, so I'm like being careful to like, I got to really enjoy this, but I I probably shouldn't long for the days of high school so I can play in Don Welsh Gymnasium again, which was the best high school gym in Ohio, except it had a terrible floor, but it was awesome. Nostalgia is wanting to go back to that, or wanting those days again. The Israelites aren't nostalgic in Psalm 126. They're remembering God's faithfulness. They're remembering God's goodness to them. And they're using that past example of God's faithfulness as fuel for their prayers looking to the future. Restore our fortunes. Oh, Lord. Every good thing that you've experienced in your life up to this point is a result of God's goodness. And the great deception that every human being is born with because we are born into a fallen, broken creation, the great deception is that we live in a transactional economy. Creation is transactional. That everything we have, we've earned it or achieved it on our own. That's not true. We live in a grace economy. And everything we have, we've been given by God. So you have some ability that makes you good at something. You've been given the ability to be good at that thing. You have some experience that makes you wise in dealing with certain things in life. You've been given that experience by God because he uses means to to his ends. You've been given those experiences to be able to be wise in that situation. You have a confident come off. You could have just as easily been born with a very insecure come off. You've been given that confidence by God. 
You speak well. You've been given that by God. You didn't muster that up. That was given to you. You have resources that was given to you. You have talents that was given to you. We have layers and layers and layers of God's, good, God's goodness evident in our life. We don't live in a transactional economy. We didn't earn or achieve the good things in our lives. It was given to us, even if it's several layers back through multiple means that God caused us to experience or have. Does that make sense? That's huge. That's really important. That the kingdom is not a transactional kingdom. It's a grace kingdom. So if that's true, it means that the highest form of spiritual maturity is perpetual gratitude. That is the highest form of spiritual maturity. And the downward spiral of humanity descending into sinfulness is described in Romans 1, and it begins with verse 21, where it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. The first thing they lost was gratitude, was seeing that life and everything that we have is a gift. We know that we are not in a good place spiritually when we lose our gratitude. So a good practice for this is to set aside time regularly where We're remembering God's goodness in our life and allowing that to stir up a sense of worshipful gratitude. Um, I have to go out into the woods and do an extended walk and begin to rehearse all the ways that God has provided for me and for my family when I begin to lose gratitude. It just stirs up a worshipful, like just an extended leisurely walk with God where all I'm praying is things I'm grateful for. That will change. That's transformative. When something really good happens in my life, I will make, create time to walk around and remember and think about and pray different angles of how God was good in that particular situation. Creating space to inflame the sense of gratitude about how God's been good to you in your past. Every year, Kara and I process the year by asking two questions. One, we used to say, let's plan for the year ahead, but then we realized that all our plans always ended up changing and God had something far better. So now, our end of year processing every December is, one, where has God surprised us? And two, where was God's presence and help evident? It's a way to look back at the year and say, well, I, like last year at this time, there's never in a million years did I think we would live in, in, that we would build a home and live in this new home. Never in a million years. That was a huge surprise by God that was made possible by a constellation of small miracles. Like just never thought it was possible, ever. That's a big surprise. We have all sorts of, of those. Where has God surprised you this year? So the Israelites are remembering with gratitude God's goodness in the past and it's fueling their prayers for the future. So after the rehearsing these things, they pray, restore our fortunes, O Lord. Remember, they're in a valley at this time. So they're looking backwards and now they're looking forwards in prayer. So look to the future. Pray with faith for future restoration. 
Pray with faith for future restoration. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. That's a large desert in southern Israel. And, and most of the time, just imagine it was like riverbeds, creek beds that are just kind of dried up and cracked and dusty and rocky and just parched. And everything around it, like all the shrubs are just dead. Isaiah 30 Six calls that region a land of trouble and anguish, just a gross, dried up land where not much can live. They pray, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. So sometimes God would send heavy rain into this desert and it would fill in the cracks and it would create these rivers and streams that would go through the Negev. And when that happened, it would, if, it was, if the water was there long enough, it would start producing vegetation. There would be plush green bushes and grass and plants and trees that you could like follow this river aerially and, and watch the green just sprout up around it. Everything else was, was like brown and deserty, but this place by the water was plush with vegetation. That's what they're praying here. The question for us is, what in our heart feels like desert right now? What in our hearts needs restoration? When we come to God, like them, praying for future restoration, the first thing that we need to acknowledge is that our sense of well-being in Christ is not dependent upon our circumstances or other people. So notice that God didn't take the desert and uproot it and move it over to where the rainforest was. The desert stayed where it was and God brought rain to the desert. The deep healing and refreshment that we need is from the Spirit of God. If your circumstances change, if people change, it might bring temporary, temporary relief, superficial happiness, but your dissatisfaction will be, it'll be transferred somewhere else. It'll pop up somewhere else because your dissatisfaction is still there because it's in your heart. And it'll show up somewhere else. What we need is the Spirit of God to refresh the deserts of our hearts. And I want to read from John 7, 37 through 38, Jesus often did things that were like shocking or surprising publicly where you'd feel awkward for him. He didn't seem to mind. This is one of those places where he just stands up and yells out at this crowd. John 7, 37 through 38 says, on the last day of the feast, this is one of those feasts where everyone would come to Jerusalem and celebrate the great day. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, 
what God wants to do is not make us people who need to go where the rainforest is. He wants to make us people who in the desert have an outflow of living water that serves not just to refresh us, but to refresh the people around us. I want to read a really cool quote from this book by John Owen. And he's talking about becoming the type of person that is useful in the kingdom, which is, a, which is a goal for all of us. We should become the type of people who are useful, are not dependent on other people or our circumstances to be useful, but we are useful because the rivers of living water are flowing through us. So what it means in the Bible to be holy, you know, we get these weird images of, of holiness, and we, we kind of, what do you think of when I say holy? Just what do you guys think of? It, give me the negative connotation so it doesn't make it hard on me. What do you think of? He was a holy person. No images come to mind? I mean, I have all sorts of things. I'm not going to say them. What, what's that? Legalism. Legalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be a negative. And that is it. That's a big one. That's a big one. What else? What other, I, know it's, I know some of you have some good things that you want to say, but what is, what's another thing? What's another negative image of holiness? Because we're going we're gonna to hear about it right now. Austin, I know you got something. You're, I can tell by the way you're looking at me. Kind of tight, kind of self-righteous, kind of judgmental. I mean, this was this was my image because often we don't have a lot of we don't have a lot of good examples of people who are actually like what Jesus was like, where Jesus was safe enough, joyful enough that kids would flock to him. We, we, we're more curmudgeons, you know, that's kind of the examples that we've been given, and there's reasons for that. But holiness, according to, J- the, Jonathan Edwards wrote a whole book about this, about religious affections, and the whole point is, one, you can't fake it, two, holiness is actually the character of Christ, which is gentleness, kindness, love, it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's not looking down at other people. It's not self-righteousness. It's not awkward to talk to. It's inviting. It's warm. It's gracious. It's love. It's being Christ-like, and the church has lost that, and we need more mature men and women who people gravitate to the way they did to Christ because they're holy in the way Scripture describes it, which means they're humble and dependent upon Christ for everything good in their life. Man, we need people like that. We need people like that. This is what Jonathan Owen says, and that's what it means to become someone who's refreshing, who's in a desert, but the fruit of the Spirit just refreshes the people around them. This is what Jonathan Owen says. Holiness makes a man or a woman a good man or a good woman. When you're around someone who's holy. If you're a woman, you feel safe around them. You don't feel like they're sliming you with their thoughts. You feel safe. You feel like a a sister or a daughter. It makes a man a good man or a woman a good woman. Useful to all. The more holy you are, the more useful you are for God. This is it. And others eat of the fruits of the Spirit that he brings forth continually. 
when the Israelites were praying that God would restore them like the streams of Negev, what they were praying was, in this spiritual desert that we're in right now, pour out your living water into our hearts so that we can be refreshing to others in the desert. You want to be the type of person when... (laughs) When you have a conversation with someone after service, they're not cringing and waiting for you to scold them. When you have a conversation with someone after service, they're not waiting to talk about their day because you're dominating the conversation. When you have a conversation with someone after service, they're not intimidated by you. They're drawn to the warmth of Christ they see in you. They feast on the fruit of the Spirit that just comes out of you. And if you don't personally experience those, that fruit of the Spirit in your life, the results of the living water that flows through you and waters the fruit, waters the vine of Christ, then something is blocking it, and it's not Jesus. It's us. So maybe a prayer for us, if, if I'm not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in that way, if I'm not a refreshing presence for others because of Christ's presence in me, what is it about me that's not allowing others to experience that? What's blocking the flow? That's a great prayer. And it's also very painful at times. So we're in the valley. We look to the past, how God's been faithful. We look to the future. We fuel our prayer for the future with how we've seen God come through in the past. Look for the, we look to the future and ask him to restore us. And then we look to the present, which is avoid avoidance. Remember God's working and expect times of refreshing. I'm not going to say anything about that. Because I think, we, I think there's enough to sit on <laughs> with the sermon up to this point. So if you want to hear a 20-minute sermon on that, it's really good. I'll be, happy to, I'll be happy to give it to you personally over coffee this week. If you're like, I just have to know that third part. I'll be happy to meet with you about that. Well, actually, maybe not this week. Maybe in January. <laughs> How is this related to Advent? And this is how we'll close. In Advent, we look backwards. We live in this time right now. We are in a valley. We're in a valley that we can't get out of in some ways until Jesus comes back and makes everything right. So we we look to the past when Jesus first came. And we see all of the good things that we have in Christ because, because of that first appearance. We see that we're forgiven because he died on a cross. We, we see that we are empowered because when he ascended to heaven, he sent the Spirit. We see that we can receive a new resurrected spirit right now because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We see that we don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to grieve it like everybody else does because we too have the promise of resurrection one day. We see that we can be like Jesus because he lived the perfect life and modeled for us what what it looks like to be a safe presence for hurting 
people. And then we look to the future. So we don't just look backwards, we look to the future. And we see that one day Jesus is going to return in the same way that he left. And he's going to make everything new. And we look to the present and we say, okay, God, in light of all of these things, in light of the fact that you came and inaugurated your kingdom on a cross, the first king to inaugurate and launch a kingdom by dying for it, because of that, and because I have this to look forward to, the second time you come and the kingdom becomes visible across the world and there will be only peace and joy and only bliss. Because of I'm in between those two realities, how do you want me to live now? And that is why we gather every Sunday. That's the question that we wrestle live with. <clears throat> how do you want us to live now? Let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.